I got an internship. The terms and conditions of working were it was going to be an eight-hour workday, Monday to Friday, and it would be office work, and there would be no contract, which is obviously a red flag. The cherry on top is that we're told that if something happens to us during this workday, we are not allowed to tell the hospital where we were working, and we're not allowed to give any details, and we don't have insurance anyway, let alone a contract. And there was a lot of fear in speaking out, fear of retaliation. Because it's a very small circle, everyone, our professors are good friends with those dark attacks. I feel like I was scared. I feel like if I said something, then it would look bad on me, which in hindsight is crazy because it was exploitative and abusive. This is Red Lines by Out of Architecture. The experiences that isolate us in our working world are also the stories that can unite our community and allow us to heal. In this series, we dive deeper into the core issues that plague the design profession and evaluate how they result in everyday conflict, discomfort, and workplace turmoil. We are your hosts, Jake Rudin and Aaron Pellegrino, the founders of Out of Architecture, a career resource network for architects and designers looking to find greater fulfillment in their work and help navigating the many challenges within the profession. Through our work, we've spoken with thousands of individuals all with unique pathways and experiences. Too often in this work, we encounter stories of struggle, tension, and suffering. Redline seeks to bring a voice to these stories, those privately endured in a school or workplace, but often clouded by shame, self-doubt, and the questioning of one's professional choices. With each episode, we will ask a member of our community to share their story, we'll offer some guidance and advice, and discuss ways to move forward. For the purposes of maintaining confidentiality, names and some identifiable characteristics have been removed or replaced with pseudonyms. Their stories, however, are all too real. In this episode, we have two storytellers joining us, Cecilia and Alif, who, at the suggestion of their university professor, took an unpaid internship abroad during the summer. They would quickly learn that the firm intended to treat them not as architectural trainees, but rather free construction labor working 11-hour days with no training, safety equipment, or site supervision. We'll learn what transpired under these conditions and just how far the Academy is willing to go to protect the image of architects and professors at the expense of students. Cecilia and Alif, welcome to Red Lines. What are you hoping to achieve by sharing your story with us and the community today? Well, I am hoping that these kinds of experiences are first of all talked about, but also these experiences do happen and your life is put at risk. You can be taken advantage of and no matter what the selling point is, it's not okay and you don't have to endure it. Your future career is not at stake if you endure it and it's okay to talk about what happened to you. Thank you, Alif. Cecilia, do you have anything to add? Yeah, thank you. And it's bringing back a lot of memories because it has been a while because we have been working. I still think about that, that internship that we did. And I, I hope that our story will teach whoever listens to this to show them that these exploitative behaviors are not okay. And uh, we need to stop making excuses for them. And it's time to really talk about it because it's a cycle. And obviously the years above do it, then we do it, and then the years still will follow. 
our years. So rather than framing them as learning opportunities or rites of passage, we just start looking at them the way they are. They're just exploratory. Thank you both for, for joining us here today. We're really grateful that you're here to tell us, tell us the story. Um, so why don't you start with just telling us what happened? I was in my sophomore year and my professor, who I loved very much, looked up to, kept talking about this one firm, super cool niche firm, like artsy firm that did insanely experimental work, was like breaking the barriers of architectural thinking. So obviously that really intrigued me. And I was like, okay, well, to be a great architect, I have to go to this firm. I have to work here. So I got an internship. The terms and conditions of working were it was going to be an eight-hour workday, Monday to Friday, and it would be office work, and there would be no contract, you know, which is obviously a red flag, but I didn't realize that in the time. You could say that I was innocent, naive, but also you could say that I was 19 years old. So then I go to the internship, and I also realize that my friend Cecilia is also going with me. I interned during my junior year, and this was after interning at various places or larger studios in New York. And I had a certain expectations of what internships would be, but I wanted to try something a little bit more experimental. And I thought that going to a place like Spain, and a lot of my favorite architects are from there. A lot of my really close relationships I had with professors were also from Spain. So I thought it would be a great place to start. I was delighted when I heard back that they were looking for people. And at the time I had put together this whole portfolio that I sent over. But as Elis has mentioned, they don't really look at the portfolios. And so we get there and we quickly realize that it's not going to be an eight hour work day. It's a 10 to 11 hour work day. We realized that they had also said that they would be providing residence, and this residence doesn't have any windows. It's basically a studio that has no windows, basically has really terrible plumbing, I think very poor internet, but you know, a residence is a residence, and we're told to be grateful because to make great architecture, you have to suffer is something that we've heard often. It's okay, no problem, stay here for eight weeks, it's okay. So then Monday comes and we go to this to the office, which takes an, an hour and a half to commute to. And once we get there, we realize that this office is actually a shipping container with no bathrooms. It's, it's a tiny space with eight people already working in it. There's no room for any more people. But what we're offered, uh, aka without any option to do anything else, is to work as a construction worker to help build one of their offices, or we don't really know what it is, actually. They never told us what it is, but it's something that we're building at a construction site. Okay, so we go to the construction site, and we are not given a helmet. We are not given any vest. We're not given boots, which I guess boost here is like a big thing to ask for because there's no clean water. It's in the middle of summer, so it's 40 degrees Celsius in Madrid. We are supposed to bring our own lunch to this construction site. And we're also supposed to be very discreet and not make much sound because the other neighbors don't know what's going on. And besides all of this, the cherry on top is that we're told that if something happens to us during this workday, 
if we fall, if we pass out, if something cuts us, all the other things that can happen in a construction site, they will drop us off at the hospital and we are not allowed to tell the hospital where we were working and we're not allowed to give any details and we don't have insurance anyway, let alone a contract. So we're basically non-existent as far as legal is concerned. Non-existent. If you're like us, you'll get goosebumps hearing a student say that they are feeling non-existent. If you're like us as well, you'll barely be able to comprehend that this story actually happened. But it did. We've already covered in just two episodes of this season allegations of exploiting foreign graduates, institutional racism and sexism, and now outright endangering the lives of young architects. Young architects that are led to believe they must be grateful for whatever opportunities and hardships they have to suffer in order to become great architects. There was zero mentioning of a health agreement. We were entering on tourist visas and I should have seen it. I've noticed that during the time that it's only obvious in hindsight, I was just so excited about this new experience I was going to have. But it turns out when I was outside that whoever I thought was the human resources manager was just another worker. And their side job was to organize the inflow and outflow of interns. And it was also interesting when I realized that 80% of the workforce were made of, of interns. They only had three to four full-time workers and one engineering or construction manager that would literally yell at us in Spanish. And a lot of us uh, come from all over the world, so obviously we don't know Spanish. And after a while, we just got used to the yelling. We'll just agree with whatever's being said. It was, it's strange because during the time, I'm like, wow, this is, this is what it's like. This is what I need to endure to become a better architect, to be more creative. And we lived this crazy 11-hour workday life where we were super tired each day. But I just thought it was, we were toughening up. Thank you both so much for, for sharing a little bit more about your experience. It's impossible to overstate, you know, barely even to summarize, let alone overstate, that you are coming from a university training you to become architects. And as part of that process, it is expected that you will go and learn and educate yourselves by, by working with others. The fact that professors have recommended to you to take this work on unpaid is, is one thing and certainly not ideal. But the conditions that you're working in are not even less than ideal. In many ways, they're, they're illegal. They're touching on issues of visas, touching on <laughs> issues of safety and health concerns. I, I don't even know where to start. I'd love to learn a little bit more. Can you tell us about the conditions that you were working in and how this compared to your expectations going into the internship? I did a couple of internships before in my previous years, and they were a bit more corporate. So uh, it was actually very comfortable. We were, we were paid on an hourly basis, actually quite well for New York City. And there was a formal orientation program. They had sent out a recommend about the type of types of work we'll be working on. And... I had a mentor at work, and in a way, I did learn a lot. I was curious about urban planning at the moment, so I worked on kind of a planning site. So it was pretty much what I expected. And then going on to my internship in 
Spain, I obviously didn't expect the exact same conditions just because I knew I was working in a smaller studio and also the internship was explicitly unpaid, even though they did provide residence. But I did, was still expecting working in some sort of studio, working on things that I was trained to do, which is working on concept designs, rendering, many things with, it could be like model making, but like small scale model making and, or working on CAD drawings, like on the computer. And what was a shock to me was this, although they did give us the option to work in the studio, it was, the conditions were actually pretty horrible. There were no light. And it was in a shipping container in their backyard. I remember the first moment I had like strange conduction issues where I tried to charge my laptop and I would feel static go through me because I feel like there was no ground. All these reasons basically was why I chose to work on site. And I thought it might be a good experience to build something with my hands and to learn some of the construction techniques. And just to clarify though, you actually weren't even aware before going and traveling to Spain that you would have the potential of working on site. So it's not like you brought boots or goggles. I understand it's very hot in Spain in the summer, but even just, you know, appropriate clothing to protect your skin from work shrapnel. I think it's pretty obvious in the clothes we packed. I remember Elif and I were just wear the, the worst clothes that we had because we knew that it would be shredded to bits at the end of the day because of how much dust and like sweat we would have. I remember buying shitty t-shirts just so that we could use there. And, you know, naively, I just t-shirts, like we were, I think beyond, you know, even being aware of what to wear or bringing what what to wear, like there was no introduction to what we were going to do. It's like, oh, now you're going to grind metal in the middle of this uh, concrete platform with zero safety and with a two minute training. And oh, like this is just what every day is gonna look like from now on. That's it. Not what you should wear. Maybe tomorrow bring this. Here's a helmet. Here's goggles. Nothing. I remember clearly being told to bring water. I think that was the one thing they stressed because there was no clean drinking water on site. So we had to buy bottled water ahead of time and carry with us to the site, as well as we were also made clear that we need to bring food. At this point, Cecilia and Aleph have arrived in a foreign country, expecting to work with world-renowned architects they've heard so much about during their education. Working with a boutique architecture firm, these famous architects learning new skills and experiencing a foreign culture. Instead, They've been forced to work in an unsafe work environment with no health insurance, no visa, on site with no safety clothing or equipment, and not even access to any clean drinking water. At this point, we want to know much more about what this day-to-day -day experience was like. It was really interesting. From our residents, we would take an hour-long train and then a 40-minute bus to get to the site. Then we would walk, I think, around 10 to 20 minutes. I forget exactly what it was. There was this really janky metal door, like a garage door, that our construction manager, who I don't think had the legal requirements to call themselves a construction manager, but was in charge of everything. 
Our construction manager would open this huge metal door and tell us to go in there really quietly because he didn't want the neighbors to hear that there are workers going into this site. When we got in, basically the site, there was a two-floor office building, and there were basically a lot of different kinds of metal beams, metal columns. I think there was a lot of insulation foam kind of scattered around all over the place. We were told to step in and wait until our so-called construction manager would come and tell us what to do. And then when he would arrive, like Cecilia said, he would speak in Spanish and yell at Spanish at the other full-time employee and then yell at us in Spanish and then just scatter around these tools for us to use without any training, no understanding of what we're about to do. Basically, we would just be told, okay, now you're going to cut these metal beams, this measurement for the next five to six hours. So that's what we'll do. All the interns would stay in the same residence and we would travel together in a pack. On site, we would be given like different sorts of tasks. And I remember every week was slightly different, but I remember Liz and I actually worked on some sort of furniture item for their house, I remember. It wasn't clear what it really were making until the end, but I just remember there was a lot of repetitive tasks involved and a lot of carrying heavy objects, which is definitely not what I expected to do. So we were instructed to cut insulation foam using a hot wire that we kind of built on the spot with our construction manager. And Basically, me and Cecilia spent, I think, two to three weeks cutting insulation foam that we, again, didn't know exactly what they were going to be used for, but we didn't have any masks on, and we were just in this corner cutting insulation foam repetitively, I think, for yeah 10 hours a day, 10 to 11 hours a day. And then it ended up being that part of it was going to be used in the building, but part of it was going to be used to build this abstract conceptual furniture that the architects were wanting to design for their house. And also thinking back, we actually didn't get to meet the star architects until much later because they were actually on, seemed to be on vacation for the first part of our internship, which was also a little bit of a surprise. I thought we would get to meet them on our first day, you know, be introduced to their studio, their work, get a little tour, maybe of the, the house or surrounding areas. I remember them one day coming in to the construction site and everything stopped. And obviously the construction manager ran to them and introduced them. And there was zero introduction to us, no reference, no introduction to us by name. There was no, here are these people. It was just, oh, okay. So we just have to kind of like be quiet and wait for what's going to happen next. And I remember all of a sudden, you know, there was this moment of, okay, everyone gather around because you're going to be given instructions to do these things. And there was this almost composer-like moment where, you know, the architect just like gathered us around and like instructed us with his hands on what to do and then just told us to disperse. And then we were just kind of running around doing exactly what he said. So he would just be firing these commands to us and we would just nod our heads and just run around doing exactly what he told us. And then if we did something wrong, he would just yell at us. And it was the craziest day I think we ever had of just running around trying to make sure that they were happy and pleased. 
I think that was actually the day I my leg got scratched by a metal piece, and I was debating with Cecilia if I would get tetanitis and if I should go to the hospital. But then I think we decided against it, which was stupid, to say the least. I remember those moments when it came on site so clearly because everyone was a bit starstruck, and we just kind of get whatever's happening. You're just start listening intently to whatever they're saying. And it's like their words are gold, and and you become really appreciative that they are on site, and you're about to learn so much from just their practice. And yeah, in hindsight, it's all coming back to me. Where I remember the foam that we were using to why it took us so long to create these furniture was were made to cut from like recycled pieces. Like so old, it wasn't even new foam pieces that they ordered to to make this. But it was from old like existing, and they have they were dirty. They were all these shapes, so we had to recycle them to make them into like square blocks almost. That's what kind of made it a much longer process. Do you feel like you knew any better or like you had to keep going? I think for me, it was definitely a turning point because third year, I'm just a little over halfway through my five year B arc. And this is a point really have to decide after this point, you know, if I want to keep going and so that I could look for a job after I graduate and decide if I want to be a licensed architect. And I think all these internship experience were just steps in helping me confirm that is really the path for me. And I realized that this internship definitely affected my decision and I'm no longer in architecture as a result of some of these experiences. But in the moment, I realized that a lot of it is almost stubbornness where it's almost like a competition with myself. Like, can I withstand these conditions? Can, am I tough enough? And it's something that's almost drilled into you in architecture school from first year. Like, can you endure? We all know it can be stressful, painful, but someone has promised that it will result in something, right? That you will be this well-experienced architect, you'll build these amazing structures. And I think I had this internal turmoil with myself at that time decide am I cut out for this? And I want to prove to myself that I, I can and I'm strong enough. But at some point during, the, during my experience, like enough is enough. And I just realized it's like, what's, what's the point when I don't even have my health? Like I need to figure out what's my priority at the moment. And now a question we ask ourselves often at Out of Architecture. Does it really need to be this way? To get a BARC or any degree in architecture, do we really need to suffer like this, all of this stress and pain? Do we have to sacrifice our health just to be able to create meaningful structures and work for famous architects? Why does this cycle perpetuate? And how do we as architects continue to endure these things without questioning them? Technically, of course, your intuition knows better when you're exhausted and you're inhaling a bunch of fumes, you cut your leg. But I think so much of your perception of what's going on is influenced by the power dynamics at play, which is one, you know, your professors have talked about this firm that now you're working for as one of the best places to work a place that's breaking through the limits of architecture and is going to be the biggest thing ever, right? There's a lot of making things sound 
better than it is or, and also making you feel like you're suffering for a greater cause. So you feel like you're part of something that's going to be amazing. And then the second part is that you need the credit of having worked at this place because you're already there. You're working for this place in order to get a job somewhere else. But also you don't want to cause something that could inevitably end up having an influence for your future career where these architects might talk about you poorly or you might get some sort of bad credit on your name and therefore lose a potential future opportunity. So you really are under a lot of influence and are under a lot of perspectives that you don't know any better there. You don't know how to get yourself out without causing any problems to your future self. This practice is not isolated to this one studio or practice. It's actually quite commonplace in a lot of places in Europe as well as in Japan. So at the time, a lot of my classmates also took and paid internships in various places with various different types of conditions. A lot of them had long hours as well. So like at one point, I didn't feel like my experience was that different or isolated in some ways until I started reflecting back. Now, I just felt that it was a rite of passage in a way. After you went through this rite of passage, what stopped you from sharing this experience in a broader format until now? I actually spent some time documenting our daily lives. I think I wrote it so that I don't forget somewhere down the line that I knew maybe one day I could share it. But at the moment I was entering to my fourth year of school, I am still had close relationships with that professor as well that recommended me to go to the studio as well as I'm looking for an internship for the next year. And then it just didn't feel like the right time. And there was a lot of fear in speaking up sometimes and fear of retaliation because it's a very small circle. Everyone, our professors are good friends with those architects. It just felt like it was, there was definitely a lot of this huge power dynamic happening. I feel like I was scared. I feel like if I said something, then it would look bad on me, which in hindsight is crazy because it was exploitative and abusive towards me, but I was scared to speak up about it, which says a lot about what kinds of strength and empowerment we give to students versus these kinds of labor practices and how we're more okay with them doing these things than a person speaking about what happened to them, and especially because it was unsafe and our life was put at risk. So I was definitely scared, but I did definitely spread word of mouth as much as I could because I wanted everyone to know about it that I knew and for them to spread it as much as they could so that no one went through it by going there without knowing what was happening. So I tried to spread it that way, which kept it somewhat anonymous, but I never felt like I could speak about it publicly or in writing because of the fear. Did you ever tell the professor what happened? I remember there was someone else that interned with us and Bashi left the internship early to intern for that professor instead. So they must know there, there was something going on, right? Like why people are actually ending their internships early. But I, I never directly talked to the professor about it just because they were such close friends. It didn't feel like my place to, to tell that story or because it is 
a common practice, especially in Spain, to have these types of unpaid internships. So maybe it will seem more as a norm then. That's fair too. I think a lot of people listening and myself, I can relate to not wanting to challenge in a lot of ways. The notion that architects are painted in school, who am I to say that that experience is, is bad? I think it, it makes one question your experience and your identity. And I remember feeling like there's a lot of shame wrapped into it. I can't make this work. Why? But I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily project that onto you, but I think you've done a really great job articulating to us the struggle of the position that you were in, both in your career and the precarity of being abroad and not having the expectations of the type of work you were doing. And then trying to marry that with what do you do when you come back from an experience like this and have to finish the rest, the second half of your education and the fear that if you speak out, it will follow you is terrifying. And I think, unfortunately, very relatable. Yeah. In fact, I had an internship with a very famous architect in Italy. And at the end, I had had such a poor experience that I left on what I would consider to be less than ideal terms, but felt that it was the right thing to do. That firm actually did reach out to the university and said to them, like, how dare you send a student like this to us? And what I was really shocked by was the university's response. And in this case, the person who was the director of the program in Rome told the firm, how dare you treat one of our students this way, and was able to stand up and, and back me as an individual. But what I still find incredible about that is I would not have expected them to do that, mostly because of the ethos from the professorial side that says we have to suffer for our art and that that is what makes you worthy of continuing to become a lauded uh, high design architect. So. That was an interesting experience, but it's very relatable to the one that you're sharing now because I do remember being very afraid to tell any of the administration, any of the professors, and aside from a couple of my close friends, really anyone else um, within my year. I want to ask about the other eight interns that were there with you. You said that you were a huge part, if not the vast majority of the workforce. You came from all these different places. You had all these different backgrounds. Why do you think other people stayed? Yeah, so we were 8 to 12 interns. And surprisingly, not surprisingly, a lot of people would come in, realize the situation, and leave. We were one of the privileged people, actually, who could decide when to leave and leave. The other interns, you know, they were from a range of different places, like Slovakia, Slovenia. Italy, India, Turkey, I think there were people from yeah, Bulgaria, Romania. So, you know, in the landscape and map of Europe and countries, they were in maybe so-called less developed countries. So I think that did play some sort of role in the power dynamic and relationship between these interns and this well-renowned firm. And some of these interns were there for their Erasmus or were there because they needed a work credit in order to graduate from their college. And they had to be there for at least six months or so. And without doing those full six months, they were not going to get the credit they needed to graduate. And 
that was definitely held over their head as a way to control what and what not these interns could do. One being if they could take some time off, even one or two days off, these interns would a lot of the time tell us that they were scared to even consider taking a day or two off or were scared to even mention that they needed some rest or they didn't know even that at the end of these six months that for sure they would be given credit because that was kept ambiguous in order to create some sort of you know, potential that they might not. So they were often telling us that they wanted to work extra hard or more hours in order to get this credit. And I think that's a sort of insanely binding way to make sure someone is working for you. And that was very, very evident throughout the internship. In a way, I, I felt that the most rewarding part was, was actually the other interns because we're actually a hugely diverse group of people and everyone had lots of education in these long programs and they were all incredibly curious, hardworking, and I got to learn so much from them, even though I think we did in the end trauma bonded a lot over our experience. I think having each other made us get through each day because we had a lot of fun even out, like at work as well as outside of work. I think I would have left a lot earlier if I didn't have this amazing group of people together. You've shared a lot on this journey with us from your initial excitement through to the acceptance and sort of the curtain being pulled back on the reality of this internship. You each put in a significant amount of, of effort and time and so on. What are you hoping that people will be able to take or learn from your story? I'm, I'm actually very excited to be telling my story after so many years because I hope that it will serve as a reminder that it is some things are not okay and it doesn't have to be this way. I remember I actually had a conversation with one of my professors is that she mentioned that good architecture takes three things, time, money, and freedom. If not all three, you need at least two to achieve some quality of design. But I realized at our internship, we had no money and we had no freedom due to we're being constantly looked at or uh, there was constant surveillance and also no time. So I wonder if good architecture can truly be used up in this environment. And yeah, I, I hope our story will help others to question their jobs or internship environments or choices. Yeah, and I, and I think for me, I think the more we talk to each other in this next generation of architects and inform each other on what's going on and realize that you're not alone and also things shouldn't have to be this way and it could be way better and more fun and you could be way more happy that also we're going to become potentially the next generation of people who own businesses, who lead architecture firms. And I think it's important to consider that just because you went through something or, you know, that's how it was for you, you don't have to do that. And that can create change. And I think it's really important to talk to each other in that way together and become the next better generation of architects, designers, business owners. This is how we will break the cycle of architects having to endure and suffer by shedding a light on these practices and sharing them with others in the hope that the next generation of architects don't continue these same abusive, exploitative, and unsustainable practices.
So what finally led these two young and hopeful architects to give up on their dream internship? One that had turned into hellish working conditions on site, building in dangerous situations rather than using the skills they had been learning in school. I remember the turning point was I started getting the skin reaction and also I started developing or had a fever. And I remember being so scared that I was like tired, feverish, had a skin rash, but still wanting to go on site because I was just scared that they would think of me as not the original worker or see me as lazy. But I think it was just all too much for me and it really affected my mental state because I was just exhausted after just weeks of grueling, working hard labor in the heat. And yeah, I think a turning point was my parents actually came to visit me and they were just hugely concerned about this, my health, my mental state. And I decided just to take leave and actually travel with them for a bit in Spain instead. Although I did leave on less than ideal terms because part of the catch of leaving early and actually I've seen other people who left early also go through this is that they actually do not write you a recommendation letter unless you fully complete your internship. And this is also another reason they, I did stay for as long as I did is I wanted to have that letter to prove that I did it. It's going to be a stamp on my resume for the future. But yeah, at that point, I realized that it wasn't worth my mental health. I'm not going to lie, I think I trauma erased the last two to three weeks of that internship. <laughs> so I don't remember the specific details. But I do remember that I took two days off to go visit my friends in another city in Spain. And that was completely out of the norm and not allowed. Besides being not allowed, when I came back, I hadn't realized that it was going to be punished because when I came back, the architect actually came in and gathered people around and started lecturing us about how this is one of the best opportunities we all could ever have. And that leaving for one to two days is not allowed because this is a condensed program for us to learn about their practices and how we can become better architects. And a message was sent to the group about how leaving for two days is not allowed, let alone one day is not allowed. A very extensive paragraph, I re remember that because I remember realizing and waking up to the moment that, oh, this is about me, I'm a scapegoat here for all the rest of the interns to not do this. Once I realized I was the one being punished and that the you know good terms had completely demolished, I realized there were no stakes for me to stay or leave. After a week of being indecisive about when to leave, I realized I'm already not going to get any credit for any of this quote-unquote amazing work that I have done here. So I decided to leave as early as possible, and I left. Did either of you put this studio on your resume? Oh yes. Oh yes, I did. I was not about to not use, not use their name, their renowned name for after all the amazing stuff I went through. There was no way I was not using that. 
Oh yeah, I I sometimes I think about all the like the free work I did, and in a way I we actually produced way more than any other internship. We like made whole pieces of furniture, we built parts of the structure, built part, parts of like other mini models, and I felt like I did. Yeah, we deserve it to put it on our resume. That's the least they can offer us, right? In terms of helping us in our careers, because other than that, they really did not mentor us in any way. I don't think they really care about us in any way. So in a way, it, it is a little bit funny thinking about it now. But it's this strange relationship that that we have with these toxic environments. Well, I think you both deserve to have it on your resume in 32-point font for everything you went through. I mean, I think I want to thank both of you for those answers. One, just really beautiful and, and positive. But two, I think obviously what you both have gone through, and it sounds like everyone there went through, is just incredibly awful. And it's hard to think that out of something so horrific, something really good can come of it. But at least we can appreciate and acknowledge with everything that you went through, taught you that it doesn't have to be that way, which I do think is a, is a seed change. And regardless of the creative field that you're in, recognizing that the basic around how that type of work gets done and proliferated and taught to others um, can really only happen. Everyone is entitled to those sort of basic needs, right? I think you, you articulated them as time, you know, compensation and, and freedom. One can argue that those are just basic metrics for back for another human being if you're if you're working uh, alongside them. And I think that I'm heartened simply by the fact that you were able to take some of those things away. Cause I think it's easy to come out of that and then turn around and say, now everyone has to do what I did and suffer as I did, because as you said earlier, Alif Architecture is something you have to suffer for. You have to suffer for your art. And I think, you know, you've done a great job of at least breaking that cycle of abuse, which unfortunately you found yourself wrought in. After having gone through this, you are both second year becoming a third year, third year becoming a fourth year. You have to go back to school and continue your studies. I imagine people asked you about your summers, perhaps even professors. What was it like to go back into the community and tell this story if if you even felt comfortable to tell it. Once we went back, obviously, like we said, there was a lot of fear in terms of speaking up to professors or speaking up publicly. But of course, as someone who loves her classmates, I wanted to make sure that all my friends and my classmates and anyone who could potentially end up going to the same firm would know about what happened so that the least I could do was try to inform people about what happened through word of mouth. I ended up telling all of my friends, obviously, as best as I could our experience. And I think I helped try to tell the story to people in the years below so that they could also kind of spread what had happened. So a lot of people through word of mouth ended up knowing what we went through throughout this internship. The Starkitects actually two years later after our internship ended up coming to the school to give a lecture on their projects. And there was an informal Q&A afterwards where people gathered around to ask questions and the architect sat down and we had professors all around from all sorts of 
backgrounds there and we had all the student body and the student body obviously knew the experiences that we went through. So when the Q&A started, it began with asking questions about the projects, but I ended up asking about their exploitative practices. And right after me, a bunch of my friends and other classmates throughout different years also started asking the architect about the exploitative practices that they knew that we endured. And what ended up happening was very interesting because rather than the architect answering these questions, we had the professors skid around and navigate around these questions so that they wouldn't have to answer. We ended up being shushed, for lack of a better word, and felt like we were crossing a boundary by asking these sorts of more personal questions on whether these labor practices were okay. A lot of the short answers we got from the architect was that because they suffered through the same kinds of experiences that we should be thankful for our experience. But really, I would say what was a positive thing that came out of all of this is that everybody in the student body aligned and everybody, rather than asking about these so-called amazing projects, were asking about how they were being made. And everyone was united in the fact that we wanted a better way to work and we wanted enlightenment on what was happening. And also, it was definitely a moment where we realized that professors didn't necessarily always have our back, but some professors definitely did and came later on to tell us that what we're saying is very important for the future of architecture. And I think that really, that was very momentous, I think, in our school. I hope the only thing is like other schools didn't have the same experience, but I think this definitely helped the student body in terms of choosing internships and understanding that this studio is not necessarily what they seem to be like. I'd like to read a small excerpt from the notes, Cecilia, that you captured while you were there that I think is emblematic of, of this internal conflict that both of you experienced that is partly this, you know, wide-eyed awe and love for architecture and design. And at the same time, uh, pushing, pushing back on all of these warning signals that you are seeing every single day. It says, today is an exciting day, despite yesterday's disappointment. The team is going to undergo the momentous cutting of the vertical members and seeing if the facade will actually defy gravity. Afterwards, the whole front facade will be only held up by vertical ties at the ends with everything else levitating in midair. It will be a moment of truth, as no one really knows what is going to happen. We are all there, twiddling our fingers, hoping the entire structure doesn't collapse. This, once again, demonstrates how relaxed Spain is and how you can get away with minimal engineering calculations and previous testing. This almost more primitive way of construction without heavy reliance upon digital software is, to say the least, very eye-opening. 
And I'd like to end there and just say thank you both so much for joining us on Redlines, Elif, Cecilia, and sharing your story and your experience so that others can learn from it. If you enjoyed this episode of Redlines, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Don't forget to check out the show notes for relevant links, resources, and other information related to today's story that we hope will help you in your own journey. If you want to hear more of these stories, consider supporting us as an Out of Architecture Patreon subscriber, where you'll have access to exclusive Out of Architecture content, our private community, and more. And if you or someone you know has a story that you'd like to hear on an episode of Redlines, please send us an email with a summary at redlines at outofarchitecture.com. Thanks for listening.